And so God has put together this service today in a, in a really powerful way. And I hope, I hope my prayer for you is you have eyes to see and ears to hear all that God is doing at the same time. I know many times we want to say, well, let's stop and look at this or look at that. But God is moving in, in so many ways um, at the same time. I want to remind those of you who haven't been with us maybe that what we've been doing at Family Bible Church, uh, about a year ago we had a leadership team uh, off-site meeting where we went around and talked about what is the purpose or the, the vision, the mission, I should say, for Family Bible Church. What are we called to do? Or what are we equipped to do? Whether we're doing it well or not, what do we feel like God's calling us to do as a church? And I've been sharing with you the last couple of weeks what we discerned from that. The first was that we make disciples. That's what we're called to do, is make learners who teach and teachers who learn about Jesus. That's what we want to do as a church family. All of us should be learning more every day about Jesus and who he is and all that that means. The second is to, to, to reach families or to strengthen families. And that means to be inclusive about the family of God, about inviting people into the family of God, about being open to where people are in their journey and, and uh, encouraging them to continue to follow Jesus no matter what in their lives, to, to include them in our language when we talk about family Bible church and who we are. God's making a heavenly family. We talked about that last week. And then this week we're going to talk about this idea of living the mission the third concept. I think it's beautiful, and I always tell you how bad I am at planning. I'm really, really bad at planning, but I mean, God does some things where he pulls things together for his glory. I, if we think about Mother's, and Mother's Day today, this was not planned to land on Mother's Day, but what an amazing thing to connect and the way God is connected. The call to live the mission wherever we are with falling on a day where we celebrate moms who, it seems, are always on mission in some way amongst us, struggling to do the right things to be good moms, to understand their role in this life. I want to share with you the, uh, from the book of Acts. I did not get page numbers in there. I apologize for that. But if you have a Bible, you can find it. It's right after the Gospels. And if you, if you don't, you can grab one of ours and find it kind of about, you know, three-fourths of the way toward the back of the Bible. You'll find the book of Acts. Um, three-fourths is probably, that's uh, more than that, less, you know. So... We want to remember some words that Jesus shared with the disciples as he finished, in a way, his earthly ministry. So we're going to read this scripture together. Starting in verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Well, they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, and, and when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here staring into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. I want to pray that God would inspire us today to understand the word of God as it's shared with you this morning, that we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear all he's doing. Now, Father, this morning we thank you for your word and we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're the revealer of truth. You're the sovereign God of the universe. You knit us together in our mother's wombs and you speak into our lives every day. You show us who we're called to be and how we're called to live according to your scriptures, that we conform to them and, and we're transformed 
by them. May today be a day like that that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear all that you're doing. And may it not be because someone convinced us, but because you moved in our hearts and just changed us, radically changed us today because we encountered you. May you be glorified as this work happens in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to throw this out as an opener today. We're going to do something different, but I want to throw out. Leadership team originally had a conviction, and we said we should be live the mission locally and internationally. And you might know if you've been a fan of Battle Church, we've been doing international missions for a while, right? And so there's just been this kind of natural, God-given, God-inspired bent toward being missionaries, which is maybe unusual as I talk to other pastors. That's a pretty unusual trait for a church to have. But there was also this talk about what we do locally. And I, I know we said the CAC, but I'm talking about right here in Highland, maybe in the Blaster, maybe in Nursery, or maybe in the, at the Schweitzer Fest when we walk in the Prater, we, we um, you know, out in the community. Maybe it's with your friends and family. And what we began to, to realize, and we took away the language, we made it simpler to this. And it's actually what the engagement sheet says today. To be on mission any and everywhere that we are. All the time all the time to be on mission. So the, the first thing I want to set up as a concept this morning as we begin to share with you is this, that the mission is everywhere. The mission really is everywhere. That's not like throwaway words. It really is everywhere. I love that in this, um, in this scripture, there's this kind of progression where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. He didn't say you might want to think about being my witnesses. I want to say one thing about witnesses real quick is this. The word is the same root word that in Acts later, they talk about Stephen who gave his life for the gospel. Stephen was the first martyr in the church. You remember the story, right? Stephen gave his life for the gospel. And later, the same word, they say Stephen was a witness to the gospel gave his life for the cause of Christ. The mission is everywhere. He was, he was serving right there locally when he was killed for his belief in Jesus. So the truth is that the mission is everywhere. The second thing I want to throw out to you this morning is this, that often we have this conversation at Family Bible Church and beyond about, well, why are we doing over there what we should be doing here? Why are we going to serve in a foreign country when we won't serve in our own community? And we really wrestle with that, and that's an honest, fair question. One thing blew me away. Last year, we went to Kenya to visit Rock Ministries in, in Malava. And as we were preparing to go, I was like, we're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Like, that's what this call is. We're going to be obedient to what God says that we should do. And as our team was meeting to prepare and pray and study what scriptures say, we came to this verse of scripture, and I began to do something quite simple. I began with getting out a map and looking at the truth. I want to share that with you this morning because I think it was eye-opening to us who thought we were going so far from the heart of God. I threw this together for us this morning. You can check it out. This is the Mount of Olives where Jesus just said the words to the disciples right there. And as we pull out, there's Jerusalem over to the left. I don't know if you can see that on the screen, you see. And then as we pull out even further, we begin, this is the mission. This is where it started, right here locally in Judea and Samaria. Look at Israel is there. And this is the area of the earth where it began. And then, oh my gosh, we panned out in this study and we looked. And here's Kenya. It's called the Key of Africa. And it's down here. And then as we begin to travel around the world, what we came to realize is, look, the ends of the earth we found them. And as we get closer, we see our home country, the United States. 
And then we see St. Louis and a little town called Highland. And what we began to realize as missionaries that are going to Kenya to share the gospel with the far-off nations is that we were, we here, you here are a far-off nation. That right where you sat this morning, you are the ends of the earth. And it seems radical to me to ask the question, why should we leave to share the gospel? And I'll tell you why. Because someone left the Mount of Olives and someone left Jerusalem and someone left Israel and the Middle East and Africa and Europe and they came to the ends of the earth to share the gospel with us. This morning I'm super honored to share or to invite uh, our guest this morning and it's Elaine Yi from Rock Ministries in Kenya. What a witness she is to the power of the gospel. I have a question as she comes this morning. How far will you go to be a witness for Jesus? I'm going to ask Mama Lane if she would come up at this time. Good morning. Turn you around, let you see everybody behind you. This is Elaine Yee. Marissa, do you want to come up? We want to do one more thing. Do you have something? You don't? Aww. Do you, did, you get a, did you get a rain gauge? So, uh, okay, so this is what I want to say. It's Mama Lane, and it's Mother's Day, and we want to recognize that. So happy Mother's Day to you. I was going to have Marissa come up and give her your Mother's Day gift, but she already did it. And we also want to be part of the rain gauge. I know, I don't know how big or small that is, but the church wants to be part of that. It's for you as well. So. Praise the Lord. Yeah, praise we God. We had a lot of rain, so we got a lot of rain to gauge. Um... I have the, a DVD, and if you've gone on the website, you've already seen this. But I wanted to do a voiceover because it's a music background that doesn't explain what you're seeing. And if you've been there, you'll know. But uh, for those of you who are looking at it from your uh, chair and your seat, and possibly may never go, at least it'll give you some idea of what we uh, work with and how we manage to do things. But it's all about... As um, Pastor Bill said, it's all about reaching others with the gospel. We have a home full of children that we went to the street to bring off of the street with the gospel. And now our mission basically is for these who have come off the street who are living the gospel are now turning around and going back and ministering into the community. And uh, that's my heart. Because when I started working with children, the way I started was planting kids' churches. Sounds strange. You probably have a kids' church here or whatever you call it. But anyway, you take the children aside and you minister just to them. And I did that as a children's pastor. But I wasn't comfortable with reaching only those who were inside. I wanted the ones outside that nobody else was reaching. And so I planted a kids' church which meant we had church on a day when the church was not using their building because they were uncomfortable with these children coming inside the church because they're dirty, they don't know how to behave, they're smelly, and they weren't welcome. So we provided kids' church for them, and that's what I've been doing. I started it in California. And uh, I'm doing the same thing in Kenya. 
because I found that it's effective. So are we ready to go with that? I don't know if I can see. Pull this down. Okay, this is uh, the girls' high school, and uh, Kisumu and our children are ministering there. There's not a problem of going into the schools, the public schools, with the gospel. And this is Miwani Boys' School. They were invited for a Sunday morning to be able to have the service. And so they are uh, meeting there under the trees and reaching the students with the gospel. This is a boarding school. This is my house, the inside of my house. It's not finished yet in that place, but uh, very cozy and uh, very nice. I choose to live in a mud hut. It's very comfortable with me. I have everything that I need. I've got electricity. I have running water. When I need water, I run and get it. <coughs> but it is finished now and quite comfy. And we're also building uh, three more mud huts that are being funded by a church in California so that we can have preschool classrooms. This is one of our Sunday morning worship services in the multi-purpose hall. It serves as a classroom as well as our church. This is part of our property where they are tilling the soil and getting ready to plant the maize and that has been planted just before I left. Some maybe four and a half acres is what we have for actual crops. Children, everybody, the staff members, are the ones that are also doing the work, and that's part of their ministry as well. There's my house from the, in, or from the outside now, um, quite a bit more of a garden space by this time, but very comfortable. There's the multi-purpose hall, huge building, but it serves our needs, and we've got tons and tons of water with the rain catchment system off of there. This is one of three houses that we have to house the children. <coughs> this was a heavy rainstorm. We get many of those, particularly at this time of the year. It's going into our winter, so we're getting a lot of rain. These are the children again, working, digging, getting ready to plant, and everybody works it. Way over in the background, you see a three-year-old, and he wants to get in on the, the job too. This is the view from the top of the water tower. So you see the three houses, each house is, contains th 10 children and house parents. Those are the children's dorms. We have two boys' dorms and one girl right now. And this is just another view from the top of the water tower. The water tower has six 6,000 liter tanks that contain our water and for storage. This is the football field. We share that with an adjacent school, it's on our property, but we welcome them. And this was our maize harvest just before harvest time, actually, last year. Uh, this is the structure that a mud hut starts with. And uh, one of the teams that were sent over were actually started with that to, uh, to build my house. And so now this one was being prepared for a classroom for preschoolers. We want to give back to the community, so we're going to educate, pay for the curriculum for educating their preschoolers. This is the beginning of uh, the granary. It looks like a giant Easter basket, but that's what we store the maize in after it is harvested and dried. It sits in there until we get ready to have it ground to make maize flour. This is the continuing project with the, the hut that is going on, and they're starting to thatch the roof. 
big job, but all of our thatching comes from our own property. And I think that was by God's design also, otherwise we would be having to buy that. This is the way the thatching grass is cut. It's all done by hands, and some of your gals have done that. But grab it by like you would a hank of hair and just cut it off. And this is the granary being moved into place. Again, the mud cut, they're still working on the thatch. This is the granary now that it's in place, and then they will proceed and uh, finally get a roof on it so that it remains dry. This is the harvesting. They just pile all of the stalks together, and then as we need the corn or the maize, we go ahead and pull it off and then take it to the potion mill where they'll grind it up, and then it comes back to us in bags of flour. This is the cobs that are laid out to dry. It must be dry before it can be stored, otherwise it spoils and mildews, which, which becomes very toxic. Our children um, help with this, and if it starts to rain in the middle of the day, everybody runs out of the class to get it back into the granary. So this is everybody waiting their turn. They've got the maize coming out in sacks full, and they will empty it there. What I can share with you in regards to what is taking place is the children becoming adults, young adults. We started with some babies, but we now have, our baby actually is seven years old, but we have young adults now who are beginning to follow after their house parents, their parents. They have no parents of their own. Some of them have extended family, grandparents or aunties or uncles, but most of them do not have a mother or a father. Some of them have had one or the other, but they don't know where they are. And so providing the home for them, we established the houses so that we could raise them in a family setting. They've been on the street for a number of years, doing whatever to survive, and so they have no clue what a family is supposed to look like. And so it's our purpose, our intent, to help them understand what a family is like. We become the nurturers, we become their caregivers, and everything else that a parent should be. And it's tough. Some of them can readily accept that, and some of them cannot. But we continue to chip away at some of the rough exterior till we can get on the inside of their heart and their spirit. And we're preparing them to become useful adults within society. More than that, to become carriers of the gospel so that they can go and they can make disciples. And we're privileged to have a community around us that welcomes them. Our students are being asked by other students in the community to come and preach for them. So we've got a trade system so that some of the pastors come from local churches and they'll fill in the pulpit for us while our boys are out doing the same thing. A privilege that happened way ahead of what my schedule was because I didn't know how soon that the children would take to this idea of going out and sharing the gospel with others. 
they could do it on the street. But this is a community now of people that they're going to be seeing every day, people that they will play football with, people that they will talk with in the marketplace. And so as they begin to branch out, they realize now there are people there that want to hear the gospel, that want to know who this Jesus is. And so they're inviting those also to come in. One thing that touched my heart Im immediately when I began to realize the potential of dealing with children on the street and then bringing them into a home was how do we continue the ministry like this so that the children grow up knowing that that is what they're supposed to do, continue to make disciples. And how can we make sure that they are getting everything that they need? You saw the provision for physical needs, but the concern is with the spiritual needs. And that's a challenge. Because they come from a rough background of doing whatever they needed to do to survive. And some of those things were not quite so nice. They have to deal with some of the past issues and yet do it as we present the gospel to them. God is doing some amazing things. And when I look, and I wanted to uh, look into a little bit of the scripture, mostly to paraphrase, because I find the story of Elisha is interesting to me. Interesting, and yet I see it, and I see, I look at our kids, I look at the situations that they have been brought up in, and I wonder, now how do we change all of that and begin to see some productive um, kids come out of the situation, out of the setting? And when I heard a, a, a pastor one time talk about Elisha following Elijah, it was interesting to me the way that the two were brought together and how Elisha just began to almost attach himself to Elijah. And when he was called, called away from farming, if you remember that, he was called away to follow after Elijah. And he was apparently very committed because he was like dogging him, is the way that I see it continuing after him, after him, after him. And when I look at the children that we have in our home, when you first reach and you finally touch the heart of one of these children, they became your friend, they become your buddy. And they want to follow you around everywhere you go. They want to be like you. They watch your every move. They watch your mannerisms and they want to copy you. They want to be like you especially the boys. And whenever I see that, I look at one of the older boys and I find a younger one that is looking. They pull their collar up in the back. They'll fix their, sh their clothes a certain way. They want to look like that buddy of theirs. And so I go and I make a note. And I'll, I'll talk to Michael in particular. This happened before I left. Michael, take a look at Brian over there. What do you see? Excuse me, Brian, but we do have a Brian. <laughs> And he says, well, I just see Brian. And 
and I said, yeah, but what do you see? No, I can't. Okay, take a look at his collar. Michael puts his collar down because we don't allow that. Don't want him looking like folks. But he looked at it and I said, take a look at the way that he's walking. Exactly like Michael. I said, Michael, he's trying to emulate you. He wants to be like you. So I'm asking you to become that model for him. He has no model. This particular child was born in an out of an incestuous relationship. He has been shunned from his community. He's never been to school because they are not welcome. So he wants to be a part of something that is outside of him. He's hearing the gospel. He's beginning to pick up on the songs. And so when Michael looked at him and he saw it, I said, he said, I, I see what you're saying. So I said, Michael, I said, we need to know how to model Jesus Christ for these children because they haven't had the gospel like you have. The kids that are in our home now have been in our home since 2005 and 2006. That's a number of years. So they've been having daily, twice daily, devotions, actively in the Word and studying, and they're knowing who Jesus is. So now it's time to give out and to share that again. And so I'm asking our kids to look at it and to, to really take a, take a look at what is happening and what you're doing and how, what you're communicating by the way you dress, by the way you walk. And so going to Elisha, because I'm, I'm, I want to really, really hone, on in, hone in on this before I get through. But Elisha came to Elijah, and he was intent on following him. And so as they were moving out of Gilgal, and if you continue to remember, as, he, as they were going through, Elijah gets to a place where he says, you know, um, Elisha, stay here. I've, I've got to go to Bethel. The Lord has called me to go to Bethel. And Elisha says, no. As surely as our Lord lives and you and I live, I will not leave you. And so he's dogging Elijah. He's going to stick with him and continue on. So Elijah goes on and they go further. And Elijah says... I've got to go on. And the Lord is calling me. He is wanting me to go to Jericho. And Elisha says, no. As surely as the Lord lives and you and I live, I will not leave you. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to hang in with you. The prophets begin to come. And Elisha, did you know that your master is going to be taken from you today? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Shh, shh, shh. We don't want to talk about those things. When we get up against something that we don't like, or maybe we can't see what the answer or the purpose is for, it's like, hey, just keep that one quiet for a while. Let's not talk about that. And so then he moves on. Elijah says, now the Lord is calling me to go to the Jordan. And he said, stay here. Elisha said, no. As surely as the Lord lives and you and I live, I will not leave you. And so they walk on together and finally, and I don't know if Elijah was exasperated or not, but it's like, 
just what do you want anyway, Elisha? What is it that you're coming after me for? And so Elisha tells him, I want a double portion of your spirit. And so Elijah says, you've asked a hard thing, but if you see a whirlwind and the chariot of fire at the time that it happens, then you will have that double portion. If not, then you will not. It's just that simple. So they continued on. They get to the Jordan. Elijah puts his cloak out. The river splits, and they walk through on dry ground. And they are there. And sure enough, as they were there, the ultimate happened. The whirlwind, the chariot of fire, and Elisha sees it. And he's got his wish, the double portion. That's what was promised to him. And so as we look at that, and that mark was Elijah's last miracle that he performed before he was taken. But it also, coming back and going over the Jordan for Elisha, had to do the same thing. That was the first miracle that he did. And so as they were going through there, and Elisha is coming back, and he's got the double portion, we continue on. But he had so much of the Spirit of God within him that was resident in him. He lived a victorious life. And as he continued, he began to do miracles. He ended up doing many, many more miracles than any other prophet except for Moses. But Elisha left. He died. Had been buried. And then there was another burial taking place. And as they were beginning to prepare the body and get ready to bury him, a bunch of uh, marauders, Moabite, came down. The raiders were coming down. And they saw this and it shook them up. So they took the body they were about to bury and they threw it in the tomb of Elisha. And there was so much of the Spirit of God there that the man, the dead body, arose. He was living. And what happened after that? We have no indication of anything else taking place or any successor for Elisha. So what happened to all of the Spirit? What happened to everything that Elisha was carrying with him? It just ended there. It stopped there. Where was the successor? Where was the mentor for after Elisha for the next generation? And what I'm looking at and what I feel is our position, I take it as my responsibility, is to make sure that we have mentors for the children that are coming up behind us. We have fathers. A father is a mentor. A father is one that the child can model after. The same with mothers. And many times they do. You like father, like son. You see that? Like mother, like daughter. But where are the mentors that will purposefully take a youngster and begin to mold them and to shape them 
according to the gospel to make disciples so that they will grow up knowing how to mentor another child, another person. If we do not purposefully mentor our children that are coming up, the next generation, we don't stand much of a chance of salvaging that generation. And so the challenge today for myself as well as for you, where are the mentors for those children who are not included in this group right here? I don't know what age limit you have, but they're in another class right now. Who are the mentors? Who is going to watch over them to make sure that they are taught? Who is going to include them in the family? When we talk about family, we're not only talking about us four and no more. We're talking about the family of God. And when we look at the family of God, we are mother and father to everybody. Everybody that needs a mother or father should be included. You're my children. You know, in Kenya, that's exactly what happens. My staff... They consider themselves my sons and daughters. I'm not quite that old, but getting there. But that's the way it is. So you are children, you are sons and daughters. Who's mentoring you? And maybe that's a challenge too. Find a mentor. Where is, who is that person that you look at and you say, wow, that, that guy, that lady really has to act together. And I, I really wish, wish I could be like that. We need those kinds of people that we can go to unashamedly and just say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm having a hard time. Can you help me? Can you walk along beside me? Can you take me along on your journey? And so if we can look at those that we are associated with, and look at the youngsters that are coming up behind us and begin to mentor them. We will have a generation of those who will do exceedingly abundantly above. We can have those who will do more than anything was done before. We serve a God of increase, and I know that he wants our hearts. He wants us following close after him. And if we do that, we walk away knowing I am in Christ and I walk with him. And your life will show it. Those that you mentor will show. The children coming up will be another whole generation. And our kids even talk about, Mom, if we don't do something now, this next generation doesn't have a chance. And that's exactly right. So they're beginning to see it. So I'm challenging you to look for those that you can mentor, those that you can take alongside, those that you find, and I've seen a few when I was out in the, the lobby area. A youngster would come up and somebody just grab him and gave him a big hug. They're looking at you. They're looking at you. There's something in you. There's some reason they can run to you and they want that hug. And that's a simple thing simple thing. But if we can spare the time just a touch, just a look, just a hello, just to let them know, I know you're there and I want you here. And we continue to mentor them. I believe that God can do miracles 
with these kinds of situations and I believe that it becomes our responsibility to see that God has what he needs to work with and that is mentoring the children that are coming up underneath us, alongside us. That's how they'll learn to mentor someone as well. So I thank you so much for having us here, allowing me to come and share, but I know Pastor Bill's heart, and I just pray that God will begin to light a fire with that spark that is already there so that you have an explosive generation coming up underneath you. Mr. Bill. Thanks. Uh, weird. I'll take that from you. <laughs> so, um, so this is ridiculously uh, a privilege to have you with us because um, she was here in January and she came back through because you have a granddaughter graduating from high school. Yeah, um, and so she came. She came back, uh, which is not even close to where we are, California. <laughs> Slight detour, just hang out with us, which is awesome. So we are so honored that you spent time with us. Um, I have actually a small gift for you. This is actually a love offering that was taken whenever you were in hospital. Um, and man, we prayed for you because what a burden to be. You went through it, but we felt you know, so far from you at that time. So um, it's a small gift. Use it for whatever you want to use it for, uh, for the ministry or whatever. If you want to talk to Mama Lane after service about what, it drives her in her life, wow, she ended up where she is and all that. She has an amazing story. And uh, the reason that my heart is so on fire whenever I'm around her is because she's one of those ladies that just does it. She just does it. You wonder how she ends up there? She just does it. And you could do it too. I mean, really, you could do it too if you, if you follow God. So praise God for your witness to us. Thank yeah. You.